everyone, and welcome to episode 4 of On the Coattails, what it means to be missing. This is the very last episode of the On the Coattails series, and I hope I opened your eyes to what it means to be missing. Everyone I've talked about so far has entire lives that they were ripped away from within the blink of an eye. Today's episode will feature a case that is no different, however, it is still ongoing. The body of Daniel Robinson has never been found. We're going to take a deep dive into some literature about what makes a missing person worth reporting. Why do some people get so much attention and others seemingly get none, despite thousands and thousands of people going missing every single year in the United States and in Canada? There is a huge discrepancy to be explored and today that is my task at hand. But first, we're going to take a dive into the case of Daniel Robinson, who went missing from the Buckeye, Arizona desert. So with that, I think it's a good time to jump right in. publicity of Gabby Petito's case garnered some small media attention to missing Daniel Robinson, who disappeared last year when he was 24, and actually, on January 14th of 2022, he just turned 25. The way that attention to Gabby Petito's case allocated more attention to Daniel Robinson is similar to that of Lauren Cho, who you would have heard about in episode 3, how Lauren's friends and family posted her case all over social media using hashtags related to Gabby and Brian, begging people who were invested in their case to take some time and learn about Lauren. Daniel's case is just like that. He was a field geologist, and according to a GoFundMe set up by his family, he had, quote, an innate passion for adventure. He was originally born in South Carolina and graduated from the College of Charleston with a major in archeology. span he was very prestigious in his field, and he would move to Arizona after landing a job with an engineering company. He loved the outdoors, just like Kylan Schult, Crystal Turner, Gabby Petito, and even Brian Laundrie. He always had a big smile on his face, and was by all accounts an academic force to be reckoned with. Daniel was last seen leaving his job site in his 2017 Blue Jeep Renegade near the Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road in Buckeye, Arizona around 9.15 a.m. on June 23, 2021. Daniel was a traveler. He loved traveling around. I think that's why he loved being in the field. He loved being outdoors. But wherever he would go, he would always communicate. So his family definitely knew something was up almost immediately when Daniel was no longer in contact with them that day. When Daniel was reported missing, Buckeye police would initially search for him across 70 square miles of land in the Arizona desert where he was last seen. They were using drones, a helicopter, cadaver dogs, 
and even created a robot equipped with a little camera to search old mine shafts in the area where he was conducting his research. During the initial searches for Daniel, anywhere from 75 to 200 volunteers were searching gridded areas as well. Less than a month later, after no sign of Daniel was anywhere in the desert, on July 19th, a nearby landowner whose name I couldn't find saw Daniel's Jeep Renegade that previously couldn't be located, despite all of the equipment and resources police were using. Interestingly enough, it was crashed into a ravine that was only approximately four miles from his job site. Kind of strange that it was previously looked over, even considering it was on private property, but I digress. When Buckeye police were called to the scene of the accident, the airbags in Daniel's Jeep were deployed, and there was apparently evidence that Daniel, or whoever was driving, was wearing a seatbelt at the time of the accident. However, I'm not entirely sure what evidence this is, or what type of evidence would point to someone wearing their seatbelt versus not, but I'm sure this kind of information does exist. I'm sure it's relatively easy for people to determine this or not. Shortly after, detectives would continue searching the surrounding area by foot, presuming that Daniel or Daniel's remains would be found nearby. And they decided to recruit assistance from the Department of Public Safety Rangers helicopter, again likely anticipating Daniel's body nearby. But strangely, they found nothing. Inside of the Jeep were all of Daniel's personal effects, his clothes, his phone, his wallet, and the keys to the vehicle. This was all of the information that came out of the initial search of the car, but Daniel's family were not satisfied with how the investigation was going. After the initial searches for Daniel didn't yield anything, police seemed to become disinterested quite quickly in the search for him. His father especially has done everything in his power to take the search for his son into his own hands. One of their first steps to do so was hiring a private investigator by the name of Jeff McGrath, who decided to firstly take a deeper look into Daniel's disappearance, beginning with analyzing the black box data in Daniel's Jeep. According to Jeff McGrath, the damage to Daniel's vehicle really stood out to him. Apparently, it wasn't consistent with the terrain of the area. Again, I'm also not sure exactly what this means, but the terrain near the Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road in Buckeye is desert with sporadic shrubs. So I don't know exactly what McGrath means when he says the accident damage doesn't match the terrain. All I can see from the internet are photos of the Jeep, but nothing too up close enough to say, oh, there's grass where there shouldn't be, but he's a private investigator and I'm not. What's very interesting to me, however, is another piece of evidence that was found from the black box of the Jeep that needs no interpretation. Jeff McGrath discovered that someone turned the ignition on the Jeep over 46 times after the car had crashed. Additionally, there was an entire 11 miles driven by the car after the airbags were deployed. Again, if you remember how close the vehicle was to where Daniel initially went missing, this is also kind of weird. The black box was able to tell Jeff McGrath and the Robinson family that the crash occurred around 1 p.m. on June 23rd, the same day Daniel went missing from his field site. This information is critical, as it creates a four-hour-long window of time between when Daniel was last seen alive and when he would have crashed. 
And again, the car was found pretty close to the job site, so we have to wonder what Daniel was doing for those four hours. His father, David Robinson, says that this information is what gets to him the most. It's the weirdest part of the whole case that nobody can explain, that four hour gap in time. In fact, this entire crash situation got even weirder when Jeff McGrath, the private investigator, said that it possibly could have been staged. In response, the family went on to hire an accident reconstructionist who ended up finalizing a report saying that, yeah, staging this crash absolutely was a possibility. Again, I wish I knew exactly what pieces of evidence pointed to this outcome, but unfortunately, I don't. And I think that's why people get so frustrated that these cases hardly get as much coverage as Gabby Petito did. Everyone in North America knows the fine and intimate details and circumstances of her disappearance and death. Yet there are knowledge gaps in Daniel's case, as well as in the other stories I've told you in this series, that could likely easily be filled with just some more media attention. In late July of 2021, a human skull was found in the area just south of where Daniel's Jeep was located. Upon analysis, however, it wasn't him. Although I'm sure his family is hoping to find him alive, there was also a glimmer of hope that it could be Daniel and that we could finally get some answers. But again, it wasn't him. A few months later in October, it was released to the media that Daniel had actually been texting with a woman he met while delivering for Instacart, something I suppose he did as a side hustle. The details of this exchange are a little fuzzy, but from what I could gather, Daniel was reportedly invited inside of her home before she backtracked after a few visits and began showing disinterest in Daniel. I'm not sure why, but people speculate that her rejection of him may have ignited feelings of deep sadness which could have led to a suicide attempt. This suicide attempt may have manifested in this crash. Personally, I don't think this is what happened to Daniel. I don't think this crash was intentional, especially given that if it was Daniel trying to turn the ignition on the vehicle 46 times after it crashed, it seemed like he might have been trying to get out and drive away. But apparently, police even questioned about his mental health history because they were starting to buy into the suicide theory as well. According to this girl, she had no relationship with Daniel. This is something she stated well after his disappearance. However, some of his friends seem to think otherwise, so we're not really sure exactly what went down between these two. However, whether or not this interaction affected Daniel in a negative way, his family adamantly denies that there was any way Daniel would have ever done something like this. On top of his family denying this possibility, Daniel's remains are still not found, which is pretty odd for a suicide, considering how thoroughly volunteers, and especially his own father, who picked up his life and drove to Arizona after his son went missing, and is still there to this day organizing searches, have searched. In fact, Daniel's father, David, has been organizing massive searches every weekend that if you're in the Buckeye, Arizona area or in Phoenix, you can sign up for and I'll link all of that information in the source material on my website. His family and the private investigator seem to think that foul play is involved in Daniel's disappearance. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure where I stand on this. I don't think I believe that this crash was intentional. I don't think I believe, based on everything I've read about Daniel and everything I've read about the accident itself, that he did this on purpose. 
However, I'm not entirely sure how foul play would fit into these accident circumstances. But again, the fact that he's never been found is incredibly suspicious, especially given that volunteers were out searching very early into the disappearance. Now, if Daniel is deceased and his remains are in the Buckeye, Arizona desert, it's highly likely that they will be skeletonized, as the Arizona heat is incredibly unforgiving. However, if they were unable to find his body or any sort of remains at the time they found the crash, which was not that long after it happened, then he must be elsewhere, right? On November 9th, police found more remains in the Arizona desert. However, again, those were not his either. Since then, people have been searching the desert and finding things. Remains, sometimes animal, sometimes human. But there hasn't been a single stitch of Daniel anywhere. Daniel Robinson is described as 5'8", 165 pounds. He has black skin and black hair with brown eyes and is missing a part of his right forearm, including his hand. It's always been that way. Daniel just turned 25 this past January on the 14th. And like I've mentioned, his father David has a website that you can visit for more information to sign the petition he's organizing or to volunteer for any searches either in the city of Phoenix or in the Arizona desert. I will link it on my website, but it's called pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. I hope that I can update you guys all with some good news eventually at some point in this case. I'm hopeful that some information about Daniel's disappearance can be uncovered, and I'm very interested to see if his family are able to get to the bottom of what happened. Whether or not this whole accident was deliberate or voluntary, or it was an act of violence, Daniel Robinson deserves to be found. His family deserves closure. His father has thrown himself into the search for his son, and his family has never been the same. Personally, I find it odd that Daniel was leaving the job site around 9am, which is typically the start to most people's workday. However, I've done field work before and there have been times that I finished my work that early in the day, but it's only because I went to my job many hours earlier in the very early morning. However, I can't find any reports of when he arrived at the job site. Some people on Reddit speculate he may have stayed overnight, which is not uncommon, or he may have arrived very early in the morning, like I mentioned is also not uncommon. It's possible that the Arizona heat was too extreme and he couldn't work, so he left. Other people think the text messages between him and this other woman just set him off. Again, we just don't know. Daniel's case got a little bit of attention from Gabby Petito's case in the same way that Lauren Cho's did. One Twitter user writes, I'm shaking reading about the discovery of Gabby Petito's body in Wyoming. While we're all watching this case unfold, please take five seconds to read about Daniel Robinson, a geologist who went missing in the desert outside Buckeye three months ago. His father is still looking for him. Like Lauren Cho, Daniel's disappearance is widely speculated to be much more sinister than what police initially concluded. Also like Lauren, Daniel's case amassed a small following from his friends and family posting on social media, begging those invested in Gabby Petito to look their way. The Robinson family have been clutching onto the coattails of Gabby Petito ever since. The Buckeye Police Department does have a tip line set up for Daniel, and if you have any information about his disappearance or car crash or were in the area that day, you can call 623-349-6411. Buckeye's Chief of Police Larry Hall does say that the investigation will remain open and active until they find Daniel. 
However, David Robinson has been utterly disappointed in the efforts to maintain that promise, so any support is greatly appreciated. In 2020, there were 543,018 active missing persons files in the United States. But for some reason, the media tends to only latch onto a few. Others remain in case files, in databases, never to be closed. Some end up a little bit lucky, being able to latch onto the coattails of bigger cases. But even still, that luck is very small, and it doesn't often result in resolution. According to Dr. Danielle Slackoff, a professor of criminal justice in the state of California, when she was writing her paper about missing white woman syndrome and newsworthiness, she cited several research articles that point to discrepancies in media publications about missing people in the United States. In her literature review, she noted that white people often receive more media coverage than missing people from other minority backgrounds. On top of that, missing cases involving white people are more likely to receive repeated media attention, something we saw with Gabby. Her case captivated the entire world for the better part of 2021. Dr. Slackoff also notes in her literature review that white females are more likely to receive initial and repeated media coverage than other missing minorities in women and girls. As well, younger missing people received more media attention while older people, 50 plus, tend to receive less. Certain people who disappear, white, conventionally attractive, fitting to the beauty standard, innocent, female, young, and wealthy, are overrepresented in media coverage, whereas missing persons from racial minority backgrounds tend to be greatly underrepresented. Research like this has highlighted the very large discrepancy in media coverage between missing persons cases. And don't get me wrong, Gabby Petito deserved every drop of attention that she got, and thankfully it led to a resolution of her case, despite her killer never being able to face justice, which is an outcome we all hoped wouldn't happen. But I can only imagine a world where when a person goes missing, it is treated as profound and earth-shattering on a global scale as it would be to an individual family who just lost a loved one and doesn't know where they are. I think about Sarah Bayard, who I talked about in episode 3. She was a nurse for 21 years. She touched lives on a daily basis, making sure people having the worst day, the worst week, the worst year of their lives had support. I think about Robert Lowry, who had children. Why didn't he get that much media coverage? I think about Lauren Cho, who was young. She was only 30. She was attractive, to me at least, but because she doesn't fit the conventional westernized beauty standard, her case doesn't receive any more media attention aside from one or two viral tweets, there has to be a better way. And to be honest, these aren't even all the cases that have been connected to Gabby and Brian. There are others that have been connected much more loosely, and together they create a giant interwoven web of missing people whose cases were touched by Brian and Gabby, whose cases still haven't been solved. I think about Jared Hembry, who was 26 years old when he was found deceased in Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park in October. I think about 22-year-old Emily Ferlazzo, who was murdered by her husband, 41-year-old Joseph Ferlazzo, their case was connected to Gabby's because it was another incident of domestic violence that resulted in death, something else that happens across the entire North American continent and across the entire world every single day, to the victims, 
to the families, it's a huge tragedy, an insurmountable loss. To the media, it's half an article. Emily Ferlazzo was a young 22-year-old white woman. It's possible the media didn't pick up as much on her story because she was already married. It's possible her case wasn't reported on as much because, unfortunately, domestic violence in marriages is still somewhat normalized in some parts of North America. Domestic violence was only officially criminalized in the United States in 1994. That's only five years before I was born. That wasn't that long ago. And unfortunately, the biases that come along with living in a society that normalizes domestic violence in marriage also comes with, comes with mistreatment and comes with no justice, even all this time later. I think about 19-year-old Maya Marcano, who was found on October 2nd in Orlando, Florida, with her feet and hands bound with duct tape. She was a college student, and she'd been missing for a week before she was found. The description given in Dr. Danielle Slackoff's literature review and primary study about what often constitutes a missing person as newsworthy doesn't fit any of those three victims, or the other victims I talked about in this whole series. She was a woman of color, which clearly goes against the guidelines for newsworthiness according to Dr. Slackoff's literature review and research. I don't understand why it has to be this way. And I hope that by listening to this series, it opens some of your eyes to the discrepancies against missing and murdered people in North America, and how different races, different sexes are treated. And I hope it sheds light on exactly why Gabby Petito got as much media attention as she did. And I hope it makes you understand exactly why the people I've talked about didn't, and why we need to change that, why I wanted to change that, and why I wanted to come out with this series. Another big point of interest for me in talking about this is that what police departments can actually achieve when <laughs> they try to look for missing people. The search for Gabby and Brian upturned so many cases, an unbelievable amount of people whose lives were severely impacted by tragedy finally got some attention from law enforcement. It's incredible to think that without the media frenzy surrounding those two, those cases might have never even been looked at or realized or known about. But the work that has been done still isn't enough. Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner's killer is still at large. We have to address why Robert Lowry might have never been found if police were never notified of sightings of Brian Laundrie. We still don't know what happened to Lauren Cho or if her boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend has ever been investigated. Daniel Robinson is still missing. Sarah Bayer doesn't even have a designated cause and manner of death. We don't even know why Josue Calderon ended up in North Carolina. And we have no idea who the homeless man from Alabama was. These people deserve justice, and I wholeheartedly believe that justice would be easily delivered if these cases got even half as much attention as Gabby's did. I'm thankful to all the people who invested their time in Gabby. And I'm thankful to the Petito family for being so open with what happened to them and reaching out to the media and leaning into the support from everyone who was there for them. Because of the amount of people who were rallying for them, supporting them, and wanting to get this case solved, they opened doors for several other families to get their cases solved as well. I wish so badly that Brian Laundrie could face justice. I wish he would have to know the pain that Gabby's family went through, that Gabby went through, that all these families went through. And I wish for a future where missing persons cases are taken more seriously, 
where resources are delegated fairly, where media takes interest in more than just white people, and that they don't have to ride the coattails of big cases like Abby Petito. Thank you for listening to On the Coattails by the Cremopedia podcast. I'm very grateful for all my listeners, and I really appreciate everyone's support in coming out with this series. Don't forget to check out my website, crimopediapod.ca, for all of the source material I use during this episode. There is a lot, so I'll separate it by case, just in case you're interested. As well, you can check out my Instagram at crimopediapod for more information and updates on these cases as they come out, and I'm hopeful that they will come out. Thanks again, everyone. Stay safe, and I will talk to you soon.